Catskill. Local news, culture, and NPR. Welcome to the local edition on Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Tuesday evening, Patricio Robayo. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking to Derek Kurt, editor for the Sullivan County Democrat, letting us know what's happening on the pages of the Democrat. But first, it's Tuesday, and usually on Tuesday, we check in with Spotlight PA. Spotlight PA, a nonpartisan statewide and member-funded newsroom based in Harrisburg with the mission of holding the powerful in Pennsylvania to account through independent investigative and public service journalism. Radio Catskill has partnered with Spotlight PA to regularly bring you their in-depth journalism. In a recent article, Spotlight PA shed light on the situation faced by Executive Director of Favor, Western PA, whose organization had opioid settlement funding rescinded by county officials. The funds, crucial for providing support to individuals dealing with addiction and recovery, were pulled after she publicly advocated for syringe services, revealing the challenges faced by those working to combat the opioid epidemic. Joining us today is Ed Mahan, a reporter from Spotlight PA. Uh, Ed, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thank you. Ed, so I gave a sort of a quick explanation of it. So can you go a little more in depth and explain why it's hard for places in Pennsylvania to use money for opioid settlements and help with syringe services. And can you explain more about what this issue is about in your article? Sure. Two big parts of this. One is there's our state's drug paraphernalia law, which goes back, I believe, to the 70s or so. And it states that syringes are considered drug paraphernalia, which means they're illegal if they're used or intended to be used to inject banned substances. So, you know, they're, they're treated as illegal drug paraphernalia. The conflict is that when a bipartisan coalition of state attorneys general reach the agreement with opioid companies about how to spend opioid settlement money, those, that bipartisan agreement, it listed syringe services programs as one of the core strategies. And I think that reflects the fact that these programs have wide support in the medical community. The CDC says they help lower the infections. They help lower hepatitis, viral hepatitis infection, infections. So the fact that the attorney generals include, attorneys general included that was it was sort of a sign of how much widespread support they have. But Pennsylvania is outside the norm. I believe uh, we're one of 12 states, according to one recent analysis that doesn't explicitly authorize syringe services through statute or regulation. So that's the conflict we have in Pennsylvania. These programs have wide support. There's all this money coming to expand them. But in Pennsylvania, that's hard because of our existing law. If there is wide support for it, what are the politicians or local officials saying that are are changes needed to be made since there is wide support? You know, so when we talked to the officials in Westmoreland County who pulled the funding, I mean, they, the one commissioner who said, I mean, he made the case that even if the settlements say you can spend it on this, that Pennsylvania's law does not seem to be on board with that. So from his point of view, the legal risk of providing funding to an organization or an individual who is offering syringe services is too great. And so he didn't have confidence that they wouldn't be at risk by providing this money to this group. 
And so he wasn't making an argument for or against syringe services. He was making the case that it was too big of a legal risk. And there, there is an effort in Harrisburg, there should be a vote this week on a bill to legalize syringe services. And we'll all see, it'll be interesting to see what the debate looks like there. Like I would say the biggest thing about, we haven't like heard strong arguments against syringe services so far, but now that it's going to be put on the table, we'll see if there are strong arguments, but it's really a matter of getting it forward, making it a priority to, to make a change. Now, it's so far, but I mentioned the main show about the organization that had the money presented it. Um, can you talk more about that exactly what the organization is about? Yeah, Kim Boddicker in Westmoreland County. It's, she's in a rural town in Westmoreland County. She's founded this peer recovery support organization. They do a lot of work helping people receive counseling, connecting people to treatment, connecting people to housing and jobs. And so that's the core mission. Um, and as part, but Kim has talked publicly to us and that's me and WESA about her work she does to offer syringe services if people need that. And she wanted to be, she wanted to make that public, make that clear. She took a risk by doing so. And then after the story came out, she, the commissioners there pulled this opioid settlement funds. And the distinction she made is that she said, told us she wasn't going to use the settlement funds for syringe services. But even then the commissioners and the county officials thought it was too much of a concern. So what happens now since they get the money rescinded and how does that affect them with their day to day operations? They have pl- the big thing is they were trying to hire two recovery support specialists to work with community members. And Kim says those members could have helped with the expansion plans for offering emergency housing services. And now that now those plans are complicated, essentially, because she says she needs to hire the additional staff in order to adequately and regularly fund these emergency housing services. And without that, those staff member, there's uncertainty about what that can and will look like. Yeah, she is pursuing other funding options as well. And we'll also see if lawmakers make any changes to the state law. And if so, whether that would lead officials in West Moreland County to change their view on this. It seems like the situation really underscores the urgent need for legal clarity and, and policy reforms to, to address the opioid epidemic and sort of support the community-based recovery efforts like this. Yeah, for sure. And so what we've taught, you know, the, the interesting part of it is we're not aware of anybody ever being prosecuted for running a storage services program. We, we've asked a bunch of people and we've asked a bunch of experts and people are, they risk arrest by doing that, but we're not aware of that actually happening. But it does create barriers on how you can promote what you do, how you, what type of funding you can receive. And just like how far reaching your services can be. And everybody we talk to about these syringe services programs is that this is one part of a holistic approach. It's not just you give somebody a needle and then walk away. It's about giving them syringe services, giving them needles, providing a way to dispose of used needles. And also it's a way of connecting them with broader treatment. And so that is what the big thing we hear from people is that legalizing and authorizing them would create clarity and would make mean so people wouldn't be risking arrest or losing funding or other consequences. If you would go a little more in depth on exactly why syringe services like the one they're offering or we're offering is helpful, it is important really in fighting the opioid crisis. Sure, that's good. And so 
One thing is the CDC has flagged a number of communities that are at risk by factors they measured for viral outbreaks or HIV infections. And a lot of those are rural places. I think Cambria County was on that list. Luzerne County was on that list. I think there was another county that that doesn't, that I'm having trouble remember, remembering right now. But it's, it's not just Philadelphia or Allegheny County where, which have the bigger city. Philadelphia is a bigger city. Allegheny has Pittsburgh. And so the idea is pretty simple is that by giving people clean syringes, you are reducing the risk of infection. And the argument is that these people who need these supplies are going to use drugs anyway. They'll just use dirty needles. And so by providing clean needles, you reduce their risk of infection. By having a place they can dispose of their needles, you risk you reduce the risk of other people in the community being infected. I know when I've heard that that initiative being brought up in where we live in Sullivan County area, sometimes I always see a lot of pushback, not in, not so much in meetings, but mostly in, on on this on Facebook and social media about that this is only encouraging them to use more and encouraging folks to use opioid. But I said it's it's a problem that we have here. And you talk about the other the risks about using dirty needles and how that also makes things worse because now you have the whole thing, other thing to deal with um, in the situation there. But have you seen that some, some any kind of public pushback on on something like that, that having a syringe program like this only encourages more opioid use? I'm sure that is, that sentiment is out there. I'm sure I think the, you know, and that's sort of the question of when we were talking with Jim Struzzi, a Republican state representative, he talked about this idea. He initially didn't support syringe services. He, he was a big advocate for fentanyl test strips, which allow people to see what's in their drugs and sort of legalizing and authorizing them. And for his own journey, he talked about how he went to visit a syringe service provider in Pittsburgh. And how that really changed his mind. He said they weren't just handing out needles. It was about providing the continu- a range of services and making that connection. And so we've talked to a woman who had, who had used needles for drugs and she talked about how she was aware of the risk, but at the time she was willing to use dirty needles because that's the state of her addiction, her substance use at the time. See, the issue of whether some, I, that is, I feel like that's an ongoing debate about all sort of interventions like naloxone, whether that whether you're going to do saving lives or encouraging or making it easier and safer for people to use these drugs. And it seems like there's a continuum of where people are, are comfortable on that and where the debate falls. What ideas have people come up with to solve the problem, not being able to use money for opioid settlement money for syringe services? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, when we talked to someone is changing the law. In North Carolina, we talked to people who are getting syringe money for syringe services for this very purpose. And a couple of years ago or several years ago, North Carolina changed its law to authorize syringe services. And now there's a bunch of places in North Carolina where this is actually happening. And in Pennsylvania right now, I will say that Allegheny County in Philadelphia, I mentioned decades ago, they took their own public health action to authorize syringe services. And Allegheny County has used a portion of its funds for syringe services, a few hundred thousand dollars for that. But across the rest of the state, you're not seeing that. And it really is a matter of changing the state law. And so where are we now with the situation as far as, like I said, there's public support for it. There, you know, we know there's a need for a change. What lawmakers are, are thinking of doing now and what have the commissioners even said? Yeah, I mean, I would say in terms of lawmakers, there is going to be a House Judiciary Committee vote this week on a legislation to legalize syringe services. And it'd be interesting to see what happens because Democrats have a very narrow majority in the state house now. Republicans have 
a majority in the Senate. And there, the, one of the concerns from the House Judiciary Co- Committee chairman, he told me, was the idea that if he brought certain services forward, that it might get complicated by other, like, people might try and amend the bill to make it include things that he doesn't want. And I can go into that later, but for now, the, the short, it, it's, he's, was concerned that people might try to amend the bill with things he didn't want. Um, and so we'll have to see if that happens and if that would slow down this bill's progress. Governor Josh Shapiro, his administration does support expanding storage services. His uh, officials there have told me. And so it's really, we'll see where the full house is and where the Senate Republicans are. Yeah. Ed, anything I have that touched on on your article that you want folks to know about before we go? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uses of this money, other uses of this money as well. I think the biggest thing is people care, if they care about how this money is being spent, county commissioners control most of this money in Pennsylvania. So that's the place where you can reach out, advocate for what you want, advocate for what you don't want, and advocate for just more information. Cause a lot of this is hard to uncover how this money is being spent. We'll talk to Ed Mahan, the Spotlight PA reporter talking about the, the opioid sediment money being used in Western PA. Uh, you can read this article at Spotlight PA. You can read this article at our website, wjffradio.org. And thank you so much for joining us on the program. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Moving right along. Warming winters means the sap is flowing earlier from New York's maple trees, changing the production schedule for maple syrup farmers across the state. WSKG's Rebecca Redemeyer visited a maple farm in Thompson County in the midst of the season's early sap run to hear how they adjusted. Operations at the schoolyard Sugarbush Maple Farm in Newfield are in full swing this February afternoon. It's unseasonably warm, and that's not just because the giant sap boiler is running. Owner Dan Weed wears a sweatshirt as he prepares to drive up into his maple grove. So at the sugar house here, we're at 490 feet in elevation. This woods goes up to 1,400 feet. Plumes of steam billow out of the sugar house's roof as we climb the path. So right now we're going up the hill on one of the access roads and we're coming underneath a significant number of pipes that are transporting sap from the woods to the sugar house. The pipes create a kind of crisscross grid connecting 15,000 tap trees across 250 acres. But the sap only runs under certain circumstances. Below freezing nights followed by warm days are usually best. Those are the kind of temperatures this area used to experience in March. But now, the sap flows as early as January. Warmer winters have changed how farmers time their maple season. Some worry it could disrupt the industry entirely. If we were to stay in the constant warmth, I've been told that within 60 years, you'll see a severe decline in hard maple in this area. New York is the country's second largest maple syrup producer, behind only Vermont. A new climate impacts assessment from the state found that the industry is particularly vulnerable to changing temperatures, with potential impacts on tree health and timing of the sap flow. There are other challenges syrup producers deal with, too. Invasive species, bad soil, weird weather. But seasonal shifts have created additional stress for farmers and for the forest. When I was a child, you know, the snowbanks were head high. There was no way the sap was going to run. So there's just been a, a total change of that trend. A lot of debate in the world over what the specifics are, but you can't deny the weather's not the same it was 30 years ago. To Dan Weed, the only solution is doing what he does best, tending to his grove of maple trees, caring for the earth, and hoping to pass down a healthy forest to his daughters. In Ithaca, I'm Rebecca Ruttlemeyer for WSKG News. Thank you, Rebecca, and thank you to the New York News Network. 
We'll be right back to talk to Derek Kurt from the Sullivan County Democrats. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. There's always a story behind the music, how the song was written, why the song was written. I'm Kathy Geary. Join me for Now and Then, Now and Then, Saturday afternoons at 3 on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Thank you for all the ways you help WJFF Radio Catskill. Your support sustains the news, music, and local voices that make up WJFF. It's only possible because of your generosity. Help keep it going. Consider signing up to be a sound supporter to make sure Radio Catskill has your constant support. Go to WJFFradio.org. And thank you for supporting public radio in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. On Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Tuesday evening, Patricio Robayo. We have Derek Kirk coming up, but before that, last week, lawmakers and advocates gathered at the New York State Capitol to renew calls for legislation to control harmful PFAS chemicals. WAMC Samantha Simmons reports. You cannot avoid it. Our only hope is for future generations, for us today, to take the necessary steps to eliminate any production, any continued production, the uh, cleaning out of our water systems, and to prevent any future use of these forever chemicals. Democratic Assembly member Deborah Glick from the 66th District chairs the Committee on Environmental Conservation. Often referred to as forever chemicals, PFAS are resistant to breakdown, leading to accumulation in the environment. Glick of Manhattan called on manufacturers using materials containing PFAS to be responsible corporate citizens and pay for the cleanup. The chemicals have turned up in the water supply in a number of Northeast communities in recent years and are found in household items like nonstick pans. The group says a package of bills could eliminate PFAS in household products, personal care items, and menstrual products. It would also track the chemicals linked to ill health effects, including cancer, in sewage discharge. Democratic Assembly member Chris Burdick of the 93rd District in Westchester County says manufacturers need to be held accountable. Why is it necessary for us to pass laws to tell them to be responsible citizens of this of this state. They should be doing this voluntarily. Of the more than 2,500 public water systems that have been tested in New York, 
Roughly 250 systems have excess amounts of PFOA and PFOS contamination, according to the State Department of Health. It's estimated that about half of the public water systems in the country have some level of PFAS contamination. Rockland County Assemblymember Kenneth Zabrowski of the 96th District sponsors a bill aiming to ban the sale of products containing PFAS. The Democrat calls the continued use of the chemical a vicious cycle. Are we going to continue to allow products to be produced with this that then go into landfills or are thrown out or the discharges in our, into our um, wastewater systems end up in our water supply? PFAS contamination has been found in several New York communities, including Hoosick Falls, Petersburg, and Newburgh, as well as Bennington, Vermont. In 2015, the Department of Environmental Conservation found historic use of firefighting foam at Store Air National Guard Base in Newburgh led to the contamination of Lake Washington and its tributaries. A water treatment system has since been installed, and the city's water supply system is drawing from a piped connection between the Catskill Aqueduct and the city's pump station. Jennifer Rawlson, a Newburgh Clean Water Project member, an impacted resident, says she's hopeful the bills will move forward so communities can begin to heal. Whether it's turning on the faucet or making a a trip to the store for needed household or women's hygiene products, New Yorkers should be able to do so without fear of exposing themselves or loved ones to harmful toxic chemicals. Assemblymember Anna Kellis of the 125th District in Tompkins and Cortland Counties, who sits on the Committee of Environmental Conservation, says the chemicals pose an ecological threat. This is literally about the preservation of human habitat because we know that this negatively affects species diversity. So that is how far-reaching all of these are that we are talking about. The American Chemistry Council says restricting PFAS could hurt the economy and limit access to products people rely on. In a statement, the council says that PFAS chemistries cannot be broadly grouped together for regulation adding some PFAS chemicals meet internationally recognized safety criteria. Samantha Simmons, WAMC News, Albany. Thank you to Samantha for that report. Thank you again to the New York News Network. It's Tuesday, and that means Tuesdays we usually speak to the Sullivan County Democrat. Let us know what's happening on the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat. Derek, welcome to the program. Uh, We have a story coming up here that I heard about an incident that happened at the Sullivan West School District. It looks like a disgruntled parent or a person was making threats towards the school district. What can you tell us about this? A Narrowsburg man has been placed under arrest after making a threat against the Sullivan West School District, according to the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office. A police said that after making social media posts expressing dissatisfaction with the district, uh, which referenced to a firearm the night before, Stephen Kelly, age 37, was arrested by the Sheriff's Office on Friday, February 2nd at around 6 in the morning, stems from a number of discussions coming from parents and other others in the district about the school's promptness to recent um, by, uh, threats of violence towards the school. With that, the school has had in the plans since the voters approved the capital project to increase and upgrade security um, as after coming after especially after a uh, safety audit by the Homeland Security, which uh, noted that the schools needed uh, entry uh, buffering and vestibule. More, more recently, the school district found out that they would be losing $2 million in state aid, and Superintendent Dr. Kathleen Bressler noted that loss of state funding will not impact 
the security of the school. Uh, she went on to say that the security is the utmost important to the district. Um, and they will continue to build on the work despite the reduction in funding. Uh, they are also trying to combat the misinformation in conjunction with this uh, sheriff's office in regards to rumors and other non-based, in fact, ideas floating around on social media. And this Sullivan County Sheriff's Office warns against the spreading of false information and gossiping on social media. The school district will be holding a Board of Education meeting on February 15th, and it is noted that a number of parents are expected to attend the meeting to address their concerns related to security and other issues related to the topic. So more to come on that in the future as the school district continues in its school year. A scary thing and is a harsh reality that we do live in now. Moving on to some lighter news here. There was at Palacian during the Bagel Festival, there was a three, I think three large murals painted on Broadway. And I believe that part of it is not going to, you told me earlier that it's going to branch out and have its own event. What can you tell us about this? Yes. Yeah, so the Village Board of Monticello approved a resolution to hold the village's first ever solo mural festival around the date of July 21st. And like you said, last year, the Catskill Revive uh, Mural Arts and Cultural Festival was held in conjunction with the Bagel Festival on Broadway in Monticello. Among the public present at the meeting on February 7th for the village was Josh Dykeman, the founder of Catskill Revive, and Malik Bridges, a Monticello native and an artist in residence for the Black Library. Uh, Dykeman requested approval for the village to hold the standalone festival, which was granted. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, what that will bring in the summer and what art will spawn uh, from its own time to exist on Broadway. And we're looking forward to hopefully a nice day of art and community. And moving on to the Care Center. Um, and moving on to some news here. Uh, the Doe Care Center was the topic of conversation at the recent legislature, Sullivan County legislature meeting. Uh, what can you tell us about what they said about the Care Center and its future? So discussions on the Adult Care Center at Sunset Lake in Liberty have continued to occur at the legis- uh, county legislator meeting on February 8th, with District 5 legislator Kat Scott saying that for the second month in a row, she has reached out to the director of nursing at the care center with little success. Uh, she said that last month she was politely declined, and this month she was ignored completely, quote-unquote. Uh, Scott also said that according to the rules of the legislature, that Health and Human Services Committee has oversight of the division, which includes the adult care center. Scott also referenced other concerns and issues that have up in the care center, including there not being a podiatrist for the facility for several months, according to Scott, uh, which has led to many residents having foot pain, gone without care. She also said that staffing remains to be an issue, referencing, referencing an instance where one CNA and one nurse were on duty from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. in Unit 3 where there were 38 residents. The care center had declined to comment when the Democrat reached out to them earlier as well this week, and more will come out of legislature as we continue on to cover the government board. Well, we both knew that this was going to be definitely a big topic of conversation. Uh, anything else, Derek, before we go? Be careful of weather. I'm sure it's already started snowing, but remember to use common sense, use good judgment when out on the roads when it's all snowy, and uh, keep the other driver in mind out there. Absolutely. We're talking to Derek Kurt, editor for the Sullivan County Democrat. Derek, thank you so much for talking to us, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for having me. And that does it for this edition of the Local Edition. Thank my first guest, Ed Mahin, from Spotlight PA, talking about the opioid sediment. And if you heard two segments, 
of the New York News Connection. Thank you so much for joining me here this Tuesday evening. Also, thank you to Derek Kurt from the Sullivan County Democrat. The Democrat is out now on newsstands, or you can check them online at secdemocratonline.com. We'll be back tomorrow to do this all over again. Tune in tomorrow on Radio Chatskill starting at 10 o'clock. Learn about the Black Library's fashion show that's happening. And meet the host of Ambient Barn, one of the new shows on Radio Catskill. Then on the local edition that night, we talking to the River Reporter and talking to a new counseling center that's opened up in Liberty. That's all happening on the local edition at 6 p.m. and Radio Catskill is happening at 10 a.m. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You can find us on any podcast listening app. Search for WJFF, the local edition. Also, if you want to hear the Radio Chatsko app, search for WJFF Radio Chatsko. You can find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. Anywhere you find your social medias, we're there. Again, I've been your host, Patricio Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Radio Catskill supporters include Wayne Memorial Hospital, a certified primary stroke center and a level four trauma center. Wayne Memorial now offers seven physician specialties, including urology and gastroenterology on its Honesdale, Pennsylvania campus. More information at WMH.org. And from the River Reporter newspaper, riverreporter.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFradio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. You're listening to Radio Catskill.